0: You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at crossvillerevolution.com. Well, we're in the 12th week of our series on the book of Acts. If you're new to Rev. Church, we feel like the best way for us congregationally and together to study the Bible is to go through books of the Bible verse by verse. So we are in the 12th week of the book of Acts. Today we're going to land in uh, Acts chapter 8, And last week in chapter 7, Stephen really dominated chapter 7 the last three weeks. Uh, We really talked about Stephen, who was one of the first deacons that was appointed in Acts chapter 6. Well, today uh, and next week, we're going to take a look at another one of those deacons that was appointed in Acts chapter 6. And today we're going to see that Philip is going to dominate chapter 8. What we're going to see happen with Philip is he's really going to get... I guess promoted, if you will, not that either job is more important than the other, but he gets promoted from a servant leader in chapter 6, a deacon, to now we're getting ready to see Philip as a result of the persecution that is breaking out. He is one of the people that is scattered, and he's promoted from deacon to evangelist. So we're going to start in verse 5. Uh, We're going to take a look at uh, first three verses of Scripture, which are very, very important, and set up the next several chapters. Uh, And then we're going to take a look at a run-in that Philip has with one particular person. Uh, It's going to be good today. Y'all ready? Say, I am. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you came to church today, bro. Yeah! Now find somebody else around you, probably you don't know, and say, you look like you could use a little church today, my brother. You need church i saw your instagram post you need some jesus in your life <laughs> acts chapter 8 verse 5 persecution has broke out last week i don't know about y'all really ministered to me cuz it was all about how stephen's death god used for one of the greatest movements the world has ever known and we talked about how god uses the most horrible things in our life for good And this is where it starts. Philip is scattered. It says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. The fact that Philip is taking the gospel to Samaria cannot be glossed over and ignored. If you understand the history between the pure-blooded Hebraic Jews that were in Jerusalem and the Jews so-called that were in the city of Samaria, this is very significant. You can read about it in Ezra chapter 4 in the Old Testament, but long story short, Solomon, the Solomon who wrote the Song of Solomon in the book of Proverbs, died. And his son takes over as king. And of the 12 tribes that there were of Israel, two of the southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, stay loyal to Solomon's son. Ten of the northern tribes of Israel rebel against Solomon's son. And for roughly 200 years, there is a civil war, basically, that takes place between those northern tribes and the southern tribes until eventually another nation takes over those northern tribes, deports these Jews that were of those 10 northern tribes, and these people that end up being the Samaritans, these 10 northern tribes, are forced to intermarry with other people that follow pagan religions, which results in the pure Hebraic Jews that are from Jerusalem, from the line of Judah and the line of Benjamin, looking at those 10 tribes and those Samaritans and referring to them as half-breeds because they intermarried with other people. This was further complicated several years later when As you know, there's a temple in Jerusalem where the pure-blooded Jews would go to worship God. They would go to give sacrifices. They would go to give offerings. Well, the Samaritan half-breed Jews built their own temple and started teaching that that was the true temple, that that was the true center where God truly was. And they said certain things like this is where Abraham sacrificed their son Isaac. And as a result of this, there is major tension between the Jews in Jerusalem, whether Hellenistic or pure blooded, and the Samaritan Jews, which they referred to as half breeds. We get a picture of this in Luke chapter 9 when Jesus is going to Jerusalem and he sends some messengers ahead of him to a Samaritan village uh, to try to prepare the way for him to stay the night there. And the Samaritans said, No way are we going to let Jesus. One of these Jews from the tribe of Judah stay in Samaritan, in Samaria. That's the story where Jesus names two of his disciples the sons of thunder. Because two of his disciples look at Jesus and say, the stupid half-breed loser Samaritans, Lord, do you want us to call down fire on that village and destroy them all? get a picture of it. And of course, Jesus says, no, 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 no. We'll just go stay at a holiday inn. You know what I mean? We'll go stay somewhere else. No need to do all that, right? And so, so we get this picture all through scripture. So anytime you see Samaritans or Samaria, understand the history here, the, the major prejudice that took place, the division between these groups of people, the disdain and the hate that they had for each other. One theologian points out that most pure-blooded Jews, especially from Jerusalem, would not risk the uncleanness of setting foot on Samaritan soil and would not have expected a warm welcome there. Well, Philip goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel. And notice that Philip uses wisdom because Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that he argued about the past with the Samaritans. Nowhere does it say he talks about the location of the temple and where it truly was. Philip simply preaches the gospel and ministers to folks in Samaria. This is very important. And we have to establish this before we move forward in the book of Acts. Because what this shows us is the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Notice where religion, Judaism, Pharisaical laws had caused divisions between the Hebraic Jews and the Samaritans. The gospel united them back together. What this shows us is that God clearly has a missionary heart that beats for the whole world. Does not matter if you're a Hebrew, doesn't matter if you're Samaritan, doesn't matter if you're a Greek, doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, doesn't matter if you're an American, doesn't matter if you're African, doesn't matter if you're Russian, it doesn't matter if you're Chinese, it doesn't matter if you're black, it doesn't matter if you're white, it doesn't matter if you're brown, it doesn't matter if you're peach, it doesn't matter if you're Republican, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat, it doesn't matter if you're independent, it doesn't matter if you're a Yankee up in here, amen. It doesn't matter if you're a hillbilly, it doesn't matter if you're sophisticated or you're a redneck if you're rich if you're poor if you're old if you're young the gospel is for everybody Amen. if you're a ut fan y'all the gospel's for you but guess what if you're an alabama fan the gospel's for you too some of y'all are like man i, I don't know man those georgia fans can get right with god too the gospel is for them Have you guys ever uh walked in somewhere to a place and had a feeling that you weren't welcome or you didn't belong or you were in the wrong place This past Tuesday we had our staff lunch where we have all of our staff come together and several leaders in the church and we somebody teaches on leadership. And uh, this past Tuesday, Pastor Donovan, our Rev Young Adults Minister, who's doing a great job with our Rev Young Adults, uh, actually spoke to us on accountability and did a wonderful job. And he was given an example uh, in his teaching and started to talk about when he went to a gym. And he said something along the lines of, you know, if I walk into a gym and I see this big jacked up dude in the corner, screaming at the top of his lungs, deadlifting 700 pounds. I think to myself, I'm in the wrong place. (laughs) Because I'm over here deadlifting 100 pounds while he's doing that, and I'm just thinking to myself, man, I, I do not belong here. Gyms are real similar to churches. Most people, when they walk into a church, man, it's very awkward, it's very weird, especially if they hadn't been to church in a long time especially if if they've got some church baggage. I don't even know if I belong here. Listen, at Rev Church this weekend, whether you're watching online or whether you're here live with us, we want you to understand. we got to get this straight. The gospel is for everyone. Amen, Rev Church. If you're here this weekend and you've got a pass, the gospel is for you. You're here this weekend and you don't know about all this church stuff, the gospel is for you. If you're here this weekend and you're super churched and you're like Jesus Jr., the gospel is for you because the gospel is for everyone. You belong here, in other words. God doesn't see half-breeds in this passage. He doesn't see Gentiles. God simply sees lost people in need of rescue. You see that? And it shows us that the gospel is for everyone. See, I made a chart for you so you guys can remember. They already got the first one up. They beat me to it. Where where religion brought animosity between these groups of people, the gospel brought unity. See, religion brings pride, but the gospel brings humility. Religion brings judgment against people, but the gospel brings grace between people. Religion brings hate, but notice in the last verse we read, the gospel brings joy. Amen, Rev. Church. Now let's see what happens when he gets to the Samaritan town and the Bible points out Really, the first fake Christian that we see in the early church. The first false Christian, false convert that we see. Watch what happens in verse 9. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. When we hear about magic today and think about magic, I'm very aware that we tend to think of it in entertainment terms and funny terms. Our mind typically goes to Harry Potter novels and movies and and, uh, illusionists that are in Vegas or something like that. But in biblical times, magic was very common. One historian notes that there was a dependence on magic and their props like we depend on technology today. Magic was as common as having a smartphone. It crossed socioeconomic boundaries and impacted everyone. Everyone was exposed to this. It was a common thought that As one historian noted, magicians had a direct link to the divine world and magic was seen as a gift from the gods. So we're introduced to this magician named Simon. Traditionally, most historians and most commentators believe, and I believe this too, that this is a man by the name of Simon Magus. He's also referred to as Simon the Magician. And this man was one of two things. He was either a very talented illusionist, so for those of us that are a little more mature in age, think David Copperfield. For those of us that are middle-aged, think Chris Angel. And for those of us that are young in here, think like David Blaine or something like that, okay? Very talented. I'm trying to be generational here. Y'all like that? Amen, y'all? Like, I'm a David Blaine guy. I don't, I'm not David Blaine. Uh, David Copperfield, you know, that's, that's me. I remember when he, like, escaped the Bermuda Triangle back in the 80s. Anybody remember that? I don't know. Okay, I'm the only old person in here. Okay. Okay, we got one in the back. I'll pay after service. Good. Okay. But this guy was either a very talented illusionist, or what I believe and is what is more than likely is he astonished people with the power of demonic demons and darkness inside of him to perform miracles. I mean, in this passage, it says that people referred to him as the great power of God. Simon Magnus, if you study history, uh, he was very influential across political spectrum, so much so that in the capital, Rome, there was actually a statue of Simon Magnus with the inscription, to Simon, the holy God. You need to understand something before we go any further. I've heard preachers before say, you know, God's the only one with the power. The Holy Spirit's the only one with the power. The devil has no power, and his demons have no power. That's a load, y'all. The enemy has great power, and you need to understand that. Great power to even perform miracles. There's a reason why in the New Testament, Satan is referred to as the God of this world, because he has power. And this is the power that I believe Simon had to perform. But what we see in Simon essentially is, as I said, the first fake Christian, the first false Christian in the church with a false faith. What I want to do as we read through the rest of these verses about Simon is, I want to point out several attributes of this false faith that Simon had, the fact that he was fake. And as I do this, I would encourage you to kind of write these down in your mind or take a picture of the screen or write them down on your phone because this is a litmus test for anyone that ever preaches from a platform. This isn't a stage. This is a platform, right? We don't perform. We proclaim the Word of God. And so, So anyone that ever preaches from a platform, this is a litmus test. Uh, This is a litmus test for some of the qualities. Like if you see some of these qualities in Instagram preachers, YouTube preachers, I'm not going to call anybody out by name, but I want you to notice these qualities because it's a pretty good sign of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about wolves? So the first one we see in these first few verses is, and this one's going to come full circle and come back around at the very end as well, is Simon was full of pride. In other words, Simon had a wrong view of himself. In other words, it's clear in these first few verses about Simon that he had an egotistical attitude. Once again, here we are, and we're not gonna spend a whole lot of time talking about pride versus humility because we've done it several times through this series in the book of Acts, but once again, We see this disparity, this distinction between humility and pride. And I'll just reiterate what we essentially have encapsulated the difference between pride and humility by saying this to you. Clearly, in Scripture, it is impossible to come to a saving knowledge of Christ if you're full of pride. Let me say that again. It is impossible to come to a saving knowledge of Christ if you're full of pride. Well, Josh, I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. You better be careful because you may be dealing with some pride. Why do you say it's impossible, Josh? Because the first thing that happens when you get saved is you have to recognize what a wretch you are. You have a recognition of your brokenness and your sinfulness. And if you're full of pride, that's impossible. We continue in verse 12. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. And we see the second attribute. But when they believed, Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. There's baptism again, y'all. Like, I'm just saying, okay? This is like the third week in a row I've preached on baptism. Next week, we're talking about the Ethiopian eunuch. It's going to be all about baptism. We'll do some detailed teaching on what baptism is if you've ever been confused about it. Uh, Next week, you'll get clarity on it. Uh, Pastor Brandon's preaching the next week on the conversion of Paul. Guess what's mentioned there? Baptism. And so I believe in Rev. Church. There are some people that God is dealing with on baptism, and we haven't even had to put together like a Dunkin' Donuts day or or I think the thing we thought about was bacon and baptism. We were going to do something like that. God's just every single week. Some of y'all, I think God's dealing with you on baptism, and uh, I really think there's some people that have been running from it. And, man, we keep saying baptism, baptism, baptism. Next week's going to be really good, though. We'll, We'll give some clarity. They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere. And then listen to this last line. Listen to it. Here's the key. Astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. The second attribute we see is Simon is full of hypocrisy. In other words, Simon had a wrong view of what would bring salvation to him. In other words, Simon thought that being saved was all external and not internal. Last two years, the majority of our church growth has come from people that are not from Crossville or even Tennessee. I'd probably say about 75% of our growth the last couple of years, especially since COVID's hit, has been people from other states in the United States, specifically People from California, a lot of people from California moving here. Uh, Illinois, a lot of people from Illinois. I'd say third on the list would probably be New York the last couple of years. A lot of people uh, moving from all these different states. And uh, we are so glad you're here. Amen, Rev Church. Like, we are so glad that you are here. Uh, we would just say, like, don't California or Tennessee. Amen, y'all. Like, uh... no, we're just kidding. But we're not. Okay, like, we got guns here. So, you know, don't, don't, uh, <laughs> I'm not being pl- I'm just saying you moved here for a reason, okay? So, um, But I want to make sure if you moved here and you're not from the South that you understand some of the very important uh, cultural things here. And this week I was thinking about one of those things. And it's simply that in the South, something that is very important to us is that there's only one kind of tea. And what kind of tea is that, church? Sweet tea. You get smacked if you ask for unsweet up in here. Like, I'm just saying. This past Tuesday, there was a jug of sweet tea at our staff lunch again and a jug of unsweet tea. And I watched Pastor Brandon, our Rev Students minister, he what he thought was sweet tea but it was unsweet tea in his cup and he took a drink and he was like oh why do we even have this because in the south you got to drink tea that you could run your car off of amen like dark it's almost like molasses you know shake it up that sugar crazy I watched him and I was like, man, how lame is it? Think you're drinking sweet tea, and you get a big mouthful of unsweet tea. Y'all know what I mean? Simon was unsweet tea, y'all. He he looked like sweet tea. But there was no sugar in that. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like you get a big mouthful and you realize This guy does not have the goods. He was full of hypocrisy. Simon looked like he was saved on the surface, but it was an outward change only. Now, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14 tells us that Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. So what you need to understand is you better believe that people that are full of darkness can appear to be Christians on the outside if even the devil can appear as an angel of light on the outside. Does that make sense? to everybody say amen? Amen. He, He said he was one thing, but he was a different thing. He was full of hypocrisy. And really, it's told in the last line, he was astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. He wasn't astonished because he had been saved by grace. He wasn't astonished at the gospel. He wasn't astonished at what Jesus had done for him. Here's the line. Simon's faith was based on the miracles of God, not on the God who does miracles. I've told you guys this several times but we got to revisit this because it's all over the place. Be very careful in any ministry, church, teaching that you hear when, hey, miracles aren't even a bad thing, right? But if miracles are lifted above the gospel and above Christ, major red flag. In fact, I'd go a step further and say, anything that is lifted above the gospel and above Christ can go from even being a good thing to a detrimental thing because it's all about Jesus and it's all about the gospel. Be very careful if a church or a ministry or whatever says, hey, we're going we're to make speaking in tongues the big thing. And that's, that's where the importance is other than Jesus and the gospel. Be very careful. Miracles whatever it is. Verse 14, we continue. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. And in verse 14 to 17, we see some of, in my opinion, the most theologically confusing scripture that there is. Like, when I read this, I just need a mind diaper. I can't figure out, really, because, like, I know where I stand theologically, but verses like this kind of mess with me. So in verse 14, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria, you see? Those crazy half-breed Samaritans are getting saved? We don't believe that. Let's send the big guns, Peter and John, to make sure that this is legit and Philip, Philip is not just like preacher counting it. You know what I'm saying? Doing the evangelist thing where he says people are getting saved, but really nobody's getting saved. Y'all know what I mean? Y'all know that goes on, right? Verse 15, it says, When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, first off, in these three verses, it's hilarious, and here's why. Remember the story I told you just a few minutes ago about the sons of thunder that wanted to wipe out a Samaritan village? Guess who that was? James and John. So, Peter goes with one half of the sons of thunder that wanted to wipe out Samaritans, and now God's going, Hey, John, we know you hate them, but uh, we need you to go check on them and pray for them and impart the Holy Spirit on them. Y'all, I'm telling you, man, you better be careful who you hate. Because God may just call you to go reach the very people you hate. I know your ex husband did you wrong. I know your ex-wife did you wrong. I know you got some animosity with your old boss, but you better be very careful acting like a a son of thunder towards a group of people or a person because God may wake you up one day and say, hey, I want you to go love on them. I want you to go the extra mile with them. I can remember uh, when I was about 20 years old, I got saved, I got married, and uh, my grandfather, who was an old school Southern Baptist preacher, man, uh, he grew up his whole life being a preacher. I used to go over to his trailer and mow his yard for him, and uh, miss my grandpa big time. He's so awesome. I'd, I'd love to know what he thinks of our church now. Like, would he think I'm a heretic, or would he be like, "Yeah, my grandson, he's changing the world," or whatever? But because uh, he was old school, like KJV old school. Y'all know what I'm talking about, like suit and tie old school. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember sitting on the porch with him back then. This was about 10 years before I even got into ministry and really even started going to church regular. I mean, I was saved, but uh, he used to tell me sitting on the front porch, Now you're going to be a pastor one day, Josh. He like knew somehow before I knew. He saw qualities in me or something. You're going to be a pastor one day, Josh. He used to give me all this advice, he used to drive me crazy. Up until the day he died, it was like two days before he died. He, he, I just thought he'd had a bunch of strokes, you know, he was kind of losing it. And like two days before he died, he's sitting in the bed and can barely talk. And he's trying to tell me, make sure when you get hired by a church, they give you a parsonage. Make sure, Josh, when you become a pastor, y'all know what a parsonage is? It's this thing old school churches used to do where they would build a house right next to the church and make pastors miserable because they'd be people over there at 5 a.m. in the morning trying to get the pastor to let them in and stuff and had no privacy. We don't do that anymore. Praise God, but he was telling me up to the last day, and I can remember, sorry, I'm like a chihuahua on crack today. This message really excites me where we're going, and so, so. but but he was telling me up until the day he died that I was going to be a pastor, and I remember saying to myself, nope, I will never be a pastor, and you want to know why? Because Christians are crazy. <laughs> Church people are nuts, y'all. Amen? I mean, the first step to getting better is we admit we have a problem. And I, I sat on the outside and I was like, "These people are nuts. I'm not doing that." Be careful when you say you won't do something. John, let's burn up the Samaritan village. Hey, John, we need you to go minister to the Samaritans now. Be careful when you say I'll never be a missionary. I'll never lead a small group. I'll never work in the kids' ministry. (laughs) Not me, Uh uh-uh. Because that typically will be the very thing that God will test your humility with to see if you're willing to do it. Does that make sense to everybody? So so to get back to our story, the the theologically confusing thing that comes out to me is is what it says about the Holy Spirit here. Because theologically, I believe That when you get saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit is not like a gas gauge where you come to church and you get filled up. Filling of the Holy Spirit, as we've established over weeks and weeks and weeks of teaching on this, uh, has to do with our obedience to the Holy Spirit. He's there, we just got to listen to him, right? But here we see that they were clearly saved, but later the Holy Spirit came on them. Now, there's two traditional views on this. The Reformed view, let me give you a 30,000-foot view because in Acts chapter 19, we'll get into the details of this, but the Reformed view of this is, well, this was only for the early church for about the first 100 years because what this did was when the apostles, remember, pure-blooded Jews from Jerusalem, prayed for the Samaritans, the half-breeds from Samaria, and they received the Holy Spirit, it united the church and made them a part of the one true church together. But the, the charismatic view, and they, Reformed people don't believe that's the case today, and that's where I lean. But the charismatic view still believes to this day that you're baptized, and then at some point you have what they call a second baptism of the Holy Spirit where you typically speak in tongues or prophesy. Now, in Acts chapter 19, there's a story where Paul goes to a village. I believe he goes to Corinth. He talks to a group of Christians. Well, they technically weren't Christians yet. And he meets them, and they were disciples of John the, uh, John the Baptist. And he says, hey, have you guys believed in Jesus and been baptized? And they say, no, we were baptized by John. And Paul says, well, that's a baptism of repentance. You need to be baptized by Jesus. That's a baptism of faith. They get baptized by Jesus or in Jesus' name, and then Paul does the same thing that happens here. He lays his hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit after he lays his hands on them. So we don't have time to get into the nuts and bolts of this today, but make a mark in your Bible on your phone that in Acts chapter 19, when we get to that scripture, uh, we will try our best to unpack what this means. Fair enough, Rev. Church, say amen. Verse 18, though, we go back to the attributes of Simon. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Next attribute that Simon had was Simon was full of greed. He had a wrong view of the Holy Spirit, and he viewed his Christianity as purely economical gain. Now, we've established what being full of the Holy Spirit is throughout this series, so we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but let me allow, you, allow me to remind you of some of the attributes of what being filled with the Holy Spirit are. Acts chapter 4, there was a prayer that was prayed. Two things happened when the church was filled with the Holy Spirit. They had a spirit of boldness and an overwhelming spirit of generosity. Remember that? When Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit... He was given the gift of healing, and he healed someone that couldn't walk. Stephen, four times in uh, uh, chapter 6 and 7, it tells us that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and Stephen was stoned to death. So the filling of the Spirit gave Stephen strength and a radical obedience that even while he was being stoned, he would be obedient to Jesus. Nowhere on the list of being filled with the Spirit and the attributes that bring is economical gain? Greed. Simon was not full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of greed. He was looking for the monetary benefits of having the Holy Spirit. In other words, how does following Jesus benefit my bank account? Several years ago, there was a couple that was coming to our church. Nobody in here would know them. Uh, and they came to me and they said, Hey, and I've had this happen several times. I said, Josh, we love the church. We love it. Love your sermons. Love the programs. We think it's just incredible what the vision is. But we can only come here about once every two or three months because we have to go to this other church in town because that's where a lot of our business comes from. And I just remember looking at him and saying, man, that's a really crappy way to pick a church, man. Where are you going to make the most money? Who, who can I hang out with? that's going to benefit my bank account the most. What small group can I sign up for? What pyramid scheme can I push? I'm going to get as many small groups as I can. Maybe I could sign some folks up. If you do, if you do, if you if you sell multi level marketing stuff, you're off my back. But don't do what Simon did. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen? amen. The gospel is about attracting people, not repelling people. In other words, and so it's full of greed. Verse twenty. Y'all still with me? Say Amen. amen. Is this good stuff? Amen, y'all. Like, I hope so. I hope so. Verse twenty. Look how it ends with Simon we see pride come back around at the end watch what happens peter answered may your money perish with you you know what peter said the first thing he said was when he said hey man i'll give you money if you'll give me that ability may your money perish with you literally translated in the greek you take your money and go to hell that's i'm just saying the bible has strong let that is not me that is what scripture if you actually look at the greek take your money go to hell but then he comes back and he's a little sweeter because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Watch what Peter does now in verse 21. tells him you're not saved. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. You're lost. Repent, Peter's begging him in verse 22. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Hey, there's hope for you. You're lost. Repent right now. Receive Jesus and look at the response. Listen verse 23. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then verse 24, then Simon Peter answered. Listen to his answer because this is telling. Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After that after they had further pro- proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Once again, we see the pride on full display of Simon. I may have mixed up Stephen and Simon. I mean Simon. Simon has a wrong view of sin and a wrong view of what repentance is. Peter says, pray, repent, accept Christ. Simon says, you do it for me. You do it for me. You pray for me. I don't want to. I refuse to. You pray that what you've said doesn't happen to me. Here's the big lesson Rev Church, listen to me. It's a wake up call for some of y'all, okay? I really believe this. No one can repent for you. No one. No one can make a decision for you to follow Jesus. I don't care how great your parents are and how closely they follow God. If you have not made a personal decision, you're lost. If you come from a background where you were baptized as a child and a denomination you grew up in thought that if you baptize babies, then that means they're saved and you're going to heaven and you've never made a personal decision, Decision to follow Jesus, you are completely lost. That is a demonic doctrine. Every one of us individually will stand before God, held accountable for our own decision in His response or in His call to repentance and the preaching of the gospel. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Nobody can make that decision for you. I love the way that Jackie, our uh, Rev Kids minister, does Rev Kids. Because when I grew up and went to church sparingly here and there, I remember that there was a lot of manipulation, even with adults, but especially with kids, You It seemed to me that churches really thought, like, how can we pad the numbers and get a lot of baptisms and look like we're really making a difference, but we're really not? Well, in the kids' ministry, we'll we'll have moments where we cut the lights off and the teacher will get a flashlight and put it under their face and say, Kids, you better say a prayer and accept Jesus or you're going to hell. (laughs) And I think I got saved like ten times when I was young. Anybody in the same boat with me? Anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, you can be saved out of fear of not going to hell. I'm not saying that. There are those that escape, you know, the fire, just barely like Scripture says. But I love that Jackie equips parents, and she shares the gospel with kids, and they make their own decision. There's no manipulation involved. Parents in here, don't manipulate your kids to make a decision for Christ. Don't let your ego get in the way and be like, boy, it sure would be cool if they got saved and baptized on Easter. Don't do that. Let them come to it on their own. They have to make their own decision. No one can make it for them. No one can force them into it. Does this make sense to everybody? Say amen. Amen. And no one can force you into it. If you haven't made a personal decision, my prayer for you is that before the day ends, you do business with God. And you nail things down and you make sure that you know you have made that decision. Simon Magus, we learn later when historians would write about him. Again, he's not a genuine believer. And he would actually start one of the things that we constantly see through the New Testament. He becomes, as one historian refers to him, uh, uh, the father of many heresies, all sorts of heresies. He lays the foundation for one of the heresies called Gnosticism. If you were here last year when we went through the book of Galatians, we really unpacked Gnosticism in detail. And so it's clear that due to his lack of repentance, he's full of pride. He's full of greed, trying to figure out how can I make money off this, not how can I surrender my life to Jesus, that Simon is completely lost and doesn't know Jesus, the first fake Christian. Now, next week, when we talk about the Ethiopian eunuch and look at the second person in detail that Philip shares the gospel with, we're going to see a real faith and a true convert. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for every single person that's in here. Uh, God, I just uh, I pray that we would be a church that recognizes the gospel is for everyone. Lots of things divide us, God, but the gospel unites us. And so help us as we go through trying to glorify you and share the gospel, maybe even with people we don't like. Help us to honor them and, and as a result, honor you. And always keep in the back of our minds that someone getting saved and their salvation is of utmost importance. God, I pray for the folks in here that you have hit between the eyes today, God, the people that are piggybacking on their mama and daddy's faith, or they think because they go to church they're saved. Uh, God, I pray for the people under the sound of my voice that everyone, online and live, everyone makes a personal decision before the end of the day if they haven't already. And they get saved as we put it in the South. I pray for sweet tea, God, not unsweet. We love you. You are awesome and you are mighty. In Jesus' name, everybody said. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.